You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Got a question that I want us to think about together as a faith family. How many of us at some point in our lives have asked the question in some form or fashion, not, not exactly word for word this way, but how many of us have ever asked God the question, God, what in the world are you doing? You ever been there before? Have you ever been in that place where you thought, God, what are you doing? God, do you really... And let me just say this. That question is not sinful in nature. Because I believe that sometimes God brings us to that place of saying, God, what in the world are you doing? He brings us to this place to where all, we, where all we can do is look is up. All we can do is turn to Him. So a lot of times, God in His grace and His mercy, though it doesn't sound merciful, it doesn't sound gracious, sometimes God in His goodness backs us into a corner, sometimes to get our attention. Sometimes to display his character and his nature to us. And three, sometimes just to make us wait. To develop character, to develop steadfastness, to develop godliness in our lives. So if you're a believer here this morning, we've all got to come to this place where we have to understand that you and I are not in control. Now, in our human psyche, that's really hard to deal with, isn't it? Because by nature, we're all control freaks some, to some degree, some, some more than others. But to, to, to a degree, we are all control freaks. We want to know what's happening. We want to know what's next. We want to know uh, what, what's around the next corner in our lives. And sometimes God does not show that to us so we can ultimately trust him. So when we ask that question, God, what in the world are you doing? It is an opportunity for us to trust, to wait, and to rest. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been introduced to a guy by the name of Joseph. Said this last week, Joseph is, if not my favorite person in the Bible, he, he's, he's right up there. I, I'm pretty sure he's my my favorite. Joseph is a guy, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, who has not exactly been dealt a very fair hand in his life. Joseph, from the time as a young child, his life was struck with tragedy. Joseph, his mother Rachel, died at a very young age, giving birth to his younger brother Benjamin. Joseph grew up in a family of 12 brothers. Him and his brother Benjamin were born of his father Jacob and Rachel. His other 10 brothers were born of his aunt uh, Leah. Leah and Rachel. So you had 12 brothers who also could double as cousins. Quite the family dynamic there. And so Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. Now Jacob, we've seen throughout our series of 
Genesis. His grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac. We have Jacob. The family was given a great promise, a covenant, that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But as we've gone through and seen this family history over the last couple of months, honestly, I ask the question, how could anyone be blessed by these people? But God uses this family to bring about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Joseph's the favorite son. His father, Jacob, gives him a coat of many colors, which was basically a sign that I'm going to sign everything over to you when I die. The brothers naturally are jealous. Joseph has dreams of them bowing down to him one day. And so finally, these guys are shepherds. They're out in the wilderness watching their father's flock, and they see Joseph coming from a distance. They see Joseph. They said, here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him. Thankfully, one of the brothers stepped in and said, no, let's not kill him. They throw him in a pit, and they leave him in a pit for a period of time. They see these slave traders come through, and they sell their brother as a slave, and he's taken to Egypt as a slave. They lie to their father. They take his coat of many colors. They dip it in animal's blood, saying that Joseph was attacked by a wild animal and that he had been killed. So then last week, we saw Joseph arrives there in Egypt, and he's bought by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard, or he's kind of Pharaoh of Egypt, Pharaoh's head of uh, secret service, the bodyguards. And God is with Joseph. Joseph uh, thrives there in his role in Potiphar's house. Potiphar, in fact, put Joseph as the head of his household. And Potiphar, the only thing when he came home from work, the only thing he had to worry about was what food he was going to eat. That's how good Joseph was at his job. Until one day, Potiphar's wife begins to notice Joseph. And she day after day comes to him, telling him, sleep with me, have immoral relations with me. And Joseph refused, 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 saying, how can I sin against God and against my master Potiphar? Until finally, one day, she grabs him by his garment and he runs and she she then lies about Joseph to her husband Potiphar, saying that Joseph assaulted her. And where we left off last week, we saw Joseph was put into prison. But just like God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house, God is with Joseph in prison. And though Joseph in this time, there's no way he could have known what God was up to, and I'm sure there were times where Joseph had to be asking himself and God, God, what in the world are you doing? Joseph's life was anything but fair. He had been sold as a slave. He had been thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. But God blesses him there in prison. And as it says in Genesis chapter 39, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can look there in Genesis 39 and verse 23, and this is where we left off last week. It said, the warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything that he did successful. And this is where we'll pick up in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 1. Look there with me. And it says this, after this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and Baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer uh, cup and the chief baker, 
and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guards assigned Joseph to them as their personal attendant, and they were in custody for some time. The king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no, inter- there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. This is its interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have, done, I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head. In the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is his interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. And in just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off of you and hang you on a tree. The birds will eat on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. He gave a a feast for all his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had explained to them. Wow. So here's what's happening there in the prison. Joseph's there for a period of time. Again, he is put in charge of everything. He's keeping an eye on the prisoner. The guard trusts Joseph so much that he's having a prisoner over the prisoners. That wasn't very common for a lot of practical reasons. Well, one day, Joseph's there in the prison, and he meets two guys. One guy is the cupbearer of the king of Egypt, of Pharaoh. Now, a cupbearer in that time was a very prominent position. His job was to bring Pharaoh's wine to Pharaoh every day. Now, this better have been a pretty trustworthy person, shouldn't it? Because remember, at this time in history, Egypt is the world power. They are the most powerful country in the world. So Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world, and I'm sure there was all kinds of people that would have loved to assassinate him. And so if your cupbearer who's getting your wine every day and is bringing it to you, and you are a person of tremendous power like Pharaoh, you better have someone that you trust. It was not uncommon for assassination attempts to happen on kings by poisoning the wine. 
And so a cupbearer's job was not just to bring the wine to Pharaoh, but it was to test it for Pharaoh before he drank it. Wouldn't you love to have that job? Because if the wine was poisoned, who's the one that keels over? You do. So the cupbearer had to be a trustworthy person because the last person between Pharaoh and its wine, and his wine, was the cupbearer. And so it would be easy for a cupbearer to slip something into the wine. So he had to be a trustworthy person. For whatever reason, he made Pharaoh mad and he ends up in prison. We don't know why. Maybe he served some bad wine that day. I don't know. But he is put into prison. Then you have the chief baker. The guy that makes the, the bread, the food, whatever the Pharaoh wanted for Pharaoh. Again, needs to be a trustworthy person for the exact same reasons for the cupbearer. And he's put into prison. Well, these two guys are given are put in the prison for whatever reason, and they have dreams. Joseph sees them one morning, notices they're distraught. They have dreams. There's no one to interpret their dreams for them, so they go to Pharaoh, uh, They go to Joseph. Joseph interprets the dreams. First guy says in, in three days, uh, or I had, uh, had a dream about three branches of a vine. They blossom. They grow into grapes. I squeeze the grapes, and I take, it back, take the wine from the grapes back to Pharaoh. Joseph says, your position in three days is going to be restored with Pharaoh. Then the chief baker doesn't work out as good for him, does it? The chief baker says, I have this dream. I've got grain in a basket and birds eat out, eat out of it. And Joseph says, Pharaoh's going to take off your head. And lo and behold, after Joseph interprets these dreams, it happens just as he said. But the key conversation, the key comment from Joseph in this passage we find it in verse 14. Look at it again. Joseph talks to the cupbearer, and Joseph tells the cupbearer, when, when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here, I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. What's Joseph asking the cupbearer? Joseph says, when you get your job back, when you've got FaceTime with Pharaoh, would you mind mentioning to Pharaoh that I'm in this prison for something I did not do? What's he asking for? He's asking, he's asking for a presidential pardon, basically, what he's asking for. See if Pharaoh could get me out of jail. That's what he asked the cupbearer. So the cupbearer... In 72 hours, in three days, has his job back. But look at verse 23 of Genesis 40. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Can this guy catch a break? He's been, his mother dies when he's, when he's a young child. His brothers hate him and sell him into slavery. He gets thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit. He does these, these guys, well, not both of them. He does the cupbearer a favor in, tell, in interpreting the dream. Uh, Chief Baker's out of luck. And yet he's forgotten. He is not remembered I don't know if there could be a more damaging blow to the human psyche than being forgotten. 
There's a lot of things that we as human beings can put up with. Forgotten is at the bottom of that list. Joseph is forgotten. And now look at verse 1 of Genesis 41. It says, at the end of two years. So not the, 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 the cupbearer didn't just forget Joseph for a week. He didn't just forget Joseph for a month. Nothing happens after he interprets these dreams for two years. So for two years, Joseph has to sit there in this dungeon, in this prison, wondering, did the cupbearer ever say anything to Pharaoh on my behalf? For two years, day after day, there in that prison for a crime he didn't commit, with nothing to do, he's there for two years. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Wouldn't you ask God, what in the world are you doing? But God in his goodness, God in his sovereignty is at work. Joseph doesn't know it yet. Over these two years, there's nothing, no vision, no dream for Joseph. God doesn't come to Joseph there in the prison and explain what's going on. For two years, nothing silence. And so for at the end of two years, look at verse one, Pharaoh had a dream. Folks, Pharaoh's now having dreams and it's not because of something weird he ate, it's because God's at work. And Pharaoh has a dream. And what's this dream? In Pharaoh's dream, he has a really weird dream. How many of you have really weird dreams? Don't hold your hand. We'll just kind of just walk around you. <laughs> Joseph, or Pharaoh has a really weird dream. In his dream, there are seven healthy, well-fed birds, and they begin grazing. They begin eating. And then, in this dream, next to the seven healthy, well-fed cows, seven skinny sick-looking cows stood by the healthy cows, and they eat them. That's quite a dream. All right? Pharaoh wakes up. He goes back to sleep. I don't know if he had young children or not, but he goes back to sleep. He has another dream. And in this dream, he has a dream of seven heads of grain, and these seven heads of grain, they're healthy, they are full and they come up on one stalk. Then in this same green, dream, seven heads of grain come up. But these, these heads of grain are thin. They're scorched and they spread out. They, they sprout out of the ground. And these thin heads of grain eat the healthy heads of grain. That's a weird dream. That's a strange dream. And Pharaoh wakes up in the morning, and he's distraught. He's wrestling with all of this. So he calls in all kinds of advisors to him. Of course, remember, he's the Pharaoh. He's the most powerful man in the world. He has all kinds of advisors and counselors. He brings them in, and they're trying to figure this out. He brings in Egyptian magicians to try and figure out all of this. And so in the midst of all this commotion over Pharaoh's dreams... The chief cupbearer comes around, and a light bulb goes off in his head. 
You think, you dummy. The light bulb goes off in his head, and he remembers, oh, no. Two years ago, there was a guy in the prison that I had dreams, and he interpreted them for me, and it came true. The cupbearer tells the Pharaoh this. Pharaoh brings Joseph now here in Genesis chapter uh, 41. He brings him out of the prison, and now Joseph is standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. And Joseph interprets the dreams. He tells Pharaoh, the seven healthy, well-fed cows represent seven years of plenty, seven years of agricultural and economic growth. Then the seven skinny cows that eat the well-fed cows That represents seven years of famine, of agricultural drought and disaster. Joseph says basically the economy is going to crash for seven years. Then he tells them the seven grains, the healthy, strong, full grains, uh, heads of grain, those represent seven years of agricultural plenty, economic health. The seven skinny stalks that eat the healthy stalks of grain represent seven years of famine and economic disaster. And so Joseph then tells Pharaoh, now this is is crazy, a slave is now advising Pharaoh. And Joseph tells Pharaoh, what I would do is over the next seven years of plenty, where crops are good, the economy's good, there's plenty of food for everyone, to start storing up food for the seven years of famine and economic disaster that's coming. Pharaoh hears this, and look at verse 37 of Genesis 41. Look at verse 37, it says this. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And he said to them, can we find any, anyone like this, a man whose God's spirit is in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only I, as king, will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot, and servants called out before him, Make way! So he placed him all over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Wow. Now, history tells us that this Pharaoh was kind of a weak Pharaoh, and we kind of see evidence of this. I mean, here this guy is asking advice of a slave. Usually kings and pharaohs don't do that. So because Egypt is the most powerful country in the world, 
And they're going to become even more powerful because of the seven years of plenty and storing up all this food. They're the most powerful country in the world. And this pharaoh's kind of a weak pharaoh. Joseph is placed in second of command. He might as well be the prime minister of Egypt. You've got the king pharaoh, who's just a mascot. And if you're from England, I don't want to be offensive. But the king or queen, is a mascot, but the real power is with the prime minister. And Joseph is the prime minister of, uh, of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. So Joseph, God has been at work. God has been at work in Joseph's life to raise him up to be the second most powerful man in the world. Now, Why? Why would God move Joseph to be the most powerful man in the world? Well, you're going to have to come back next week. (laughs) But the point of this narrative here in Genesis is not the fact that, well, bad things is not karma, right? Well, Joseph's bad luck has finally run out, and so now he's going to, now he's the second most powerful man in the world. It's not karma, it's not luck. God is at work to preserve his people. Remember, God had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had made a covenant, and he had said, through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There's going to be seven years of famine. There will be no food. There will be no money. It'll be worse than the stock market crashing in the Great Depression. And God is at work to preserve his people. God has a plan. God is in control. God is sovereign through all of this in Joseph's life. Now, we as God's people today, we have the, our, the advantage of our hindsight of being 2020. God's got a pretty good track record of his faithfulness and of his goodness. God has a plan. We can't stop it. We have to trust God. And so, as we look at the life of Joseph and the character of God, We have to ask ourselves the question, what is it in our lives that we are not trusting God with? What area of your life, what area of my life are we not fully trusting God? Because the reality is, difficulties are going to come up, come up in our lives. There are, going to, there are going to be things that are going to happen in our lives that we would not prefer. God's plan may not always be our plan. But the question is, what is it in your life that you are not trusting God with? What is it in your life, in my life, that we are holding on to so tightly and where you say, God, you can have control of all of this. You can do whatever you want with with this in my life, but don't touch this. Don't touch my kids. 
Don't touch my spouse. Don't touch my health. Don't touch my money. Don't touch my church. Don't touch that. That is mine. And the reality is, if we hold on to any of these areas in our lives, God is going to take that and touch it and mess with it, whether we want him to or not. And again, that is not a mean thing or a wrathful thing for God to do. No, that is the loving thing for God to do, because God is always good. God is always at work. God is always working out his redemptive plan in your life, my life, and then through his church. And the question, since the beginning of time, and we saw this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that God asked his people is, do you trust me? Do you really believe, you say that I am sovereign, that I am in total control, but do you really believe that? Do you really trust me? And that's a tough question. Because we live in a, in a time of suffering and of difficulty, but we have a track record of a God that loves us, that is always working out everything for our good and for his glory. To make himself known. So the question we have to ask each one of ourselves is, do I trust God? Will I let him take over any area of our lives? Pray with me. God, this is a difficult thing to wrap our heads and hearts around, and that is your sovereignty, your control. And God, we are a people as human beings, God, where we want control, and so God, we are always in this battle of Yes, we want you to have control, but we really don't. And, and God, we, we wrestle. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to stop fighting, to stop wrestling with you. God, I thank you. We thank you as a faith family. Thank you for Joseph and his life and how we can see this redemptive plan that you made to bring about Christ to save us, that you used even these difficulties, these tragedies in Joseph's life to put him in a position to preserve your people. God, help us to trust you. God, I ask that you would move us as your people, move us into a place, into a corner where all we can do is trust you. God, we want to see you working for our good and for your glory. And so, God, just like in the life of Joseph, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to glorify yourself 
in each of our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music